0: This week on WealthTrack, has portfolio diversification outlived its usefulness? How do you diversify the downside better?
1: And central to all of this is how treasuries, how bonds diversified stocks. That aspect of portfolio construction is really, really important when we look at effective and efficient
0: diversification. We go beyond diversification with T. Rowe Price's Sebastian Page. This week on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack.
1: Funding provided by Morgan LaFay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management.
0: Hello, and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Talk to most investment professionals, and they will tell you that portfolio diversification is the key to successful investing and that asset allocation among multiple asset classes, not individual security selection, accounts for as much as 100% of investment returns. Being broadly diversified among different asset classes is supposed to give you strong exposure to market rallies and protection in down markets, as non-correlated assets zig when others zag and soften the downside impact. However, there are times when diversification doesn't seem to work all that well. Take the huge sell-off in the spring of 2020, the shortest bear market in history when asset classes plunged pretty much across the board. Major stock market indices representing the U.S., Europe, and emerging markets fell more than 30 percent, Japan's more than 20 percent, and within the U.S., growth and value plummeted. But gold, which is supposed to offer protection in sell-offs, also declined, albeit much less than stocks. Were there any lessons to be learned about the usefulness of diversification from 2020's experience? What is the best way to use asset allocation to get the investment results we want? Well, our guest today is considered to be a financial thought leader in asset allocation at T. Rowe Price. He is Sebastian Page, head of global multi-asset at the firm, where he oversees about $350 billion in assets. Page is also the author of a new book, titled Beyond Diversification, What Every Investor Needs to Know About Asset Allocation. I began our conversation by asking Paige if diversification failed, given how many asset classes declined in 2020's bear market.
1: Yes, it failed us, but we shouldn't have been that surprised. It tends to fail when markets crash. The other aspect of diversification, I talk about this in my book, but a lot of people don't think about it, is that it also works very well. On the upside. So, what we saw in Q1 of 2020 was not unusual for a market sell off. And let's remember that when diversification works best is on the upside. So, Consuelo, the issue with diversification is one of asymmetry. And it's the asymmetry that we don't want, it doesn't work well when we need it. It works really well when we don't need it. Let me give you a quick example, right? International diversification, U.S. stocks versus non-U.S. stocks. If I go back to the 70s and I look at the 1% worst months for U.S. stocks, I will see that the correlation between U.S. stocks and non-U.S. stocks, and correlations just measuring how these assets move together, right, Right. is very high, 87% during the 1% worst returns for U.S. stocks, which is essentially you're looking at months during which stocks crashed. However, if you go to the other side and you look at what happens when U.S. stocks are in their top 1%, when they rally the correlation actually decreases to negative. So there's a negative association between the markets, minus 17%. So you see diversification work really well when you don't need it. And an analogy I like to use is, imagine I have my head in the freezer and my feet in the oven. I can say that on average, my body temperature is near perfect. But of course, you know, my my chances of survival are are very low. So the issue, diversification is very important in portfolio construction, but we ought to do it right. And the issues with diversification are that it's an average. And a lot of investors just look at the long run average way that assets move together,
0: which hides extremes, we want diversification to protect us on the downside, which is why we invest in stuff like you know gold, which actually only declined 8% um, during the bear market in 2020. Um, but still, it still declined. Why is diversification still considered to be the cornerstone of a um, of, of portfolio strategy? It's about diversifying
1: in a way that accounts for what happens when markets actually sell off. Right. If you if you give me 30 seconds, okay, to give investment advice to someone that I don't know, I'm meeting them in the elevator and it's between floors two and five. I would say two things. I would say that the two most important pieces of advice in investing, stay invested for the long run and diversify. Stay invested because, you know, over time you want returns to compound. And if you're well diversified, you're getting the highest possible, in theory, the highest possible return you can get for the level of risk you're willing to assume if you compare that with a concentrated portfolio. But here's the issue, and I think you're hinting at that in your question. Diversification is a forward-looking concept, right? So looking back, someone can always say, all you had to do was to invest in this stock and you would be rich, right? Mm -hmm. This concentrated option after the fact this is how you would have made the most money. But how much risk did you take doing that? You could have ended up with nothing. Uh, that, that's an option, right? That, right? that could have happened. So there are issues with diversification. So the focus in my book is how do you diversify the downside better? And central to all of this, Consuelo, is how treasuries, how bonds diversified stocks. That aspect of portfolio construction Is really, really important when we look at effective and efficient diversification.
0: How do we truly diversify so that that we actually take less risk and get the kinds of investment returns that we want? How do we go beyond diversification?
1: The diversification between stocks and bonds is really important, and how you structure that decision as an investor how much stocks do I want to own, and how much? Safer safer bonds do I want to own? That decision becomes the most important asset allocation decision. In the current environment, it's a bit harder because rates are so low, there's only so much you can get from bonds when stocks crash going forward, right? You can maybe expect bonds and treasuries to protect your capital, but they can't rally as much as they have in past crises, because the starting point for rates is so low. So options to better better diversify include looking at, for example, alternative strategies that allow for long-short investing. And shorting ultimately is a hedge for downside risk. So if done well, an alternative investment process can better diversify your portfolio. Another option is to look at risk-managed equities. And managing your volatility over time is quite important. Uh, Consuelo, we talk a lot about the
0: 60 40 portfolio and how this is. 60% stocks, 40% bonds.
1: Right, and how it's kind of a generic portfolio that can be suitable for a lot of investors. I think it's too generic. But the idea with managing your volatility over time is that, look, a 60 40 portfolio, uh, if you look at rolling 12 months uh, volatility, can deliver a very conservative. Uh, risk profile, 5% volatility in certain market environments if you look back. But in other market environments, it can deliver 20-plus percent volatility. And that's the same asset mix. So a fixed asset mix doesn't translate into a fixed risk profile. So innovations in better managing your risk over time and stabilizing your volatility are important because they help ultimately diversify the portfolio when you need it the most. And then there's a long list of assets that people look at. Uh, in, of course, beginning with treasuries, you mentioned gold, right. uh, higher quality investment grade bonds. Uh, if you're worried about rising rates, assets like bank loans, they do have credit risk. Uh, currencies can play a role. So you end up, I would take a 60-40 portfolio and probably put about 12% of it in a uh, and and again, it always depends on the investor and the needs and the goals, but about 12% of it in more alternative-type strategies uh, that are less tied to markets and the failure of diversification in times of crisis. Maybe 5%, 10% in risk-managed equities. Maybe add a bit more to long bonds, even though from a valuation perspective, it's not necessarily an attractive asset class, but if you want to look at the entire portfolio, uh, adding 3 to 5% to a dedicated long bond allocation can help better diversify those bad events, those worst 1% of returns that we talked about earlier.
0: And, and explain what risk-managed equities are.
1: So risk-managed equities are simply a position or a, por- a portfolio of positions in equities, but where the volatility is managed dynamically and maybe you can buy protection with it and add overlays. So add exposure to bonds, but just when volatility increases. So it's a package that essentially aims to deliver about, say, 80% of the returns of the market, but with about half the volatility and, and close to half the exposure to drawdown. So it's, uh, this is how we define risk-managed equities. The, the, the answer, Consuelo, well is that there are many definitions of it, right. but those are long equity positions that can be actively managed where there's an explicit downside protection added to it. And for advisors and individual investors, those types of strategies are coming to market. They're becoming more accessible for people through advisor platforms, for example.
0: I'm thinking to myself, this is really difficult for individuals to do. Uh, is it because the, the markets have just become so complex, there are so many choices, there are so many players that uh, in order to be broadly diversified, you need to be involved in, in many, many more um, assets than you, you used to when actually the sixty forty portfolio was kind of you know, the, the, the way to go?
1: Yeah. I think even individual investors have to broaden their investment universe. One of the issues with diversification, and this goes to behavioral research, is that people tend to diversify across whatever is presented to them. Right. So what is on the menu, especially for those inside their 401k plans? Right, it's limited frequently. It really, it really and it's limited in a lot of cases. It also influences how people actually diversify. What you present to them will influence their choice. So for individual investors or for their advisors, I think it's important to broaden the investment universe. There are alternatives that are available that are liquid nowadays in the markets. This concept of risk-managed equities is making its way into markets. And really, it's about thinking forward. Diversification is a forward-looking concept. So things like Non-U.S. equities and U.S. equities, value and growth, small and large, all have their role in a broadly diversified portfolio.
0: And and how often do you actually switch the mix um, at T Rowe Price with your team?
1: So in our process, we think about, of course, strategic asset allocation, which doesn't change that often. And then tactical asset allocation, which changes more often in order to take advantage of relative valuation opportunities. For strategic asset allocation, these are very long horizon problems. But what we're talking about, how do you structure the portfolio to be really well diversified in a way that's sensitive to what happens when markets sell off? And how do you structure the portfolio to give you the more, the more juice out of it that you can in terms of returns for the risk you're willing to take. Tactical asset allocation for us, it's a six to 18-month horizon process. Right. And we change our positions uh, every month, sometimes a little bit more often. And the goal here is to take advantage of relative valuations, which seems simple on the surface, go into asset classes when they're cheap, and then- reduce your allocation to asset classes when they're expensive so leaning against the wind you can add value like that over time the issue is that it's not just about relative valuations because asset classes non-us stocks value stocks can be cheap for a very long time which so they have you, been
0: right? which
1: they have been so yes. you
0: also
1: so you also have to look at other factors that really matter to tactical decisions which are the macro factors, the fundamentals, think about earnings and earnings growth. And also, and there's a lot of that going on in the markets these days, technicals and flows and sentiment and liquidity. And you put together a whole picture that's mainly valuation driven, but you want these other factors to flash green as well in order to take larger positions in those directions.
0: So do you judge yourself on short-term results for instance? How did the T Rowe Price multi-asset team do in that bear market in 2020?
1: So our primary objective is to meet the goals of the clients. The goals can be different, right? right. So for individuals saving for retirement, it's a very long-term goal. It's an outcome is how much money will I have to retire with? Will I be able to replace my salary? That's how we tend to judge ourselves, so mainly over the longer term. But we also want to do well in the shorter run as well. Our, some of our portfolios um, lost, lost a fair amount of value during the sell-off. But one thing we did is we kept our cool and we leaned into assets and we more than made up for it before the end of the year in the context of, again, longer term investment Objectives. So, you know, how you measure yourself, I think, in investment management is just so important. And in order to answer that, you need to ask who are you managing the money for and what you're trying to achieve for them? What are their goals? And a lot of times, their goals are fairly long term goals.
0: You know, there is an investment philosophy I know you've heard of and probably read Charlie Ellis' winning the losers game and one of the one of his tenets is you know that that you win by not losing so again to go back to kind of the original concept of why you should be broadly diversified is not only to you know participate in the upside but also to protect yourself from the downside so that you win by not losing what's your view number one of that philosophy
1: It matters for sure. Your exposure to loss matters, but nothing is so simple in investing because what you're trying to do is achieve a longer term rate of return. You want to compound your investment over time and you want a positive rate of return because quite frankly, a lot of savers and investors and future retirees are underfunded. So Mm -hmm. their contributions are not going to be enough. So it's not just about avoiding losses and forgetting about it and going to the safest possible option and hedging everything, because you need returns to work for you. Compounding is wonderful. It it makes your money work really hard for you, and you don't have anything more to do uh, except stomach some shorter-term volatility. Consuelo, this is so important right now because the risk-free rate, right, the safe option, the safe the treasuries is, return so little you get yes. you let, let's make a, a let's make a simple assumption that you'll get essentially after inflation 0% out of treasuries okay so if i'm saving for retirement what does it mean how much do i need to save in order to generate one year of salary replacement when i actually retire right if i get zero compounding zero rate of return well Let's assume you save 10% of your salary per year. Well, it's pre-savings. It means you need to save for 10 years Right. for every year that you're going to want to spend in retirement. That's sobering. (laughs) 10 to 1. So it's easy to say, uh, I want want to win by not losing. I want to protect my downside. And, and, And of course, we should all protect the downside as much as we can. But it's way too simplistic an investment thesis in this environment for those that need compounding to work for them and that happen to have a longer-term horizon. Without compounding, 10 to 1. I need to right. say for 10 years, the math doesn't work, 10 years for every year in retirement. So I need to take some risk. And our solutions team has done an analysis recently. And because rates have come down so much, and this is a drastic change in capital markets following COVID, right? Right. Because rates have come down so much, expectations for future returns are now lower for long-term investors. And they're they're, they're so low. that In order to get a 6% return going forward, how much stocks do you think you need to own now based on reasonable long-term expected returns on stocks and bonds?
0: Consuelo, it's about 80%. Right. So that's the portfolio should be about 80% stocks. You oversee the target date funds, correct, at T. Rowe Price? So have you changed your formula for the target date funds, or or how have they changed?
1: So earlier we were talking about diversification and how it's difficult sometimes for individual investors to diversify. The beauty of the target date funds, and of course I'm I'm biased, I'm in the business, but the beauty of target date funds is they give you instant diversification and professionally managed asset allocation. And we actually design what we call the glide path, which is based on how far you are from retirement, we'll calibrate your stock bond allocation accordingly. Um, Recently, we did a revamp. We we studied our assumptions. We reviewed our models. You have to account for the fact that uh, longevity has increased. So people tend to live longer. So if you retire at 65, you know, you need your money to last for quite like 20, 30, 30 30-plus years. So with longevity uh, increasing and with capital markets returns going lower and with our better understanding of plan sponsors, we've revised the shape of our glide path. And, uh, for example, uh, so if if someone is 50 years old and let's say they're about 15 years from retirement – they would have in that glide path 80% allocation to stocks and over time that would decrease and it would reach still 55 60 by the time they retire at age 65 and then continue to decrease that way so that's how target date funds work they're very popular as a default option right if you put money yes. aside Put money aside in your 401k, it's very likely that it'll be automatically funneled into a target date fund, which is a really good option because it manages your risk over time, gives you instant diversification, and uh, for actively managed options, professionally managed money.
0: Give us kind of your, your, you know, your key recommendations as to how you would advise us to diversify our portfolios. Let's say you have a
1: 60-40 portfolio. Let's say you've solved the question as to how much stocks versus bonds you should own, and you happen to end up with 60-40. We do need to tweak and improve that portfolio Mm -hmm. uh, with a broader range of options. It's not about a a complete revamp of the 60-40, if you will. So increased allocation to some alternatives, some risk-managed options, a little bit more interest rate protection with long-duration bonds, broader diversification across investment choices that do better in, in a downside. And um, you know it's, it, there's a lot of customization in what we do in our industry because client needs are all different. But broadly right. speaking, that's what it would look like, uh, Consuelo. In fact, at the end of the book, I have a few model portfolios, so you can see exactly how that would be split up.
0: If there were one investment that we should all own some of in a long term diversified portfolio, what would it be? Speaking of diversification,
1: there are asset classes that are attractive right now in terms of relative valuations, but broadly speaking, just let's not underestimate the role of stocks in investors' portfolios. Stay invested for the long run, stay diversified. And don't try to time the market and and panic and go all to cash, especially if your time horizon is long. So it's a simple answer, in a way, stocks.
0: (laughs) There's one caveat to that piece of advice, I guess, and and that is how important timing is as far as where you are uh, in, in your stage of life. So some of the criticisms of target date funds over the years have been, that if the target date funds were even, let's say, 50% stocks when you are retiring, and you happen to retire in 2008 or 2009, uh, you've got a real problem. How do you overcome that?
1: Well, part of it is how you structure the portfolio as you de-risk towards retirement. So, you take the risk down as you approach retirement, so that's part of the answer. But the other way to think about this so-called sequence risk is that by the time you get there, if you've been invested for a long time, you've more than made up for that exposure to loss. In other words, going back to our 0% return on bonds. And, and by the way, right. I'm not saying people should not invest in bonds. It's all about calibrating the balance based on what we expect to get out of markets and the underlying diversifications. Even if you happen to be unlucky and retire at the time that there's a market drawdown. You still have, as we said earlier, 30 plus years in your -hmm. your investment horizon to recoup these losses. You're not going to spend it all at age 65. And also, you've probably more than made up for it looking back at the prior 5, 10 years that you've been saving. There's nothing that magical about that date when you actually retire in terms of your
0: risk. Sebastian Page, thank you so much for joining us on Wealth Track and enlightening us about going beyond diversification. Thank you. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is avoid market timing. Well there is plenty of historical evidence that trying to time the market leads to significantly lower returns than a buy and hold strategy for investors. Now there is yet another reason to avoid active trading, increased volatility. A recent academic study found that the volatility of investor returns is higher than the corresponding volatility in nearly all specifications. The researchers looked at individual stocks, stock mutual funds, and stock indexes both in the U.S. and major international markets, and the increase in volatility with trading is significant, 15 to 75% higher. So not only do you underperform significantly by trying to time the market, you also have a much rougher ride as a result. Next week, we continue our conversation with Sebastian Page on asset classes to own and those to avoid in 2021. In the meantime, we hope you keep connecting with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Have a lovely Valentine's Day and a relaxing President's Day weekend, and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.